Well, good morning to each one. Greetings in Jesus' precious name. It's good to see each one of you here this morning. And I, too, want to welcome the visitors that are here with us. We welcome you here and invite you to join in and worship with us this morning. Over the past week, our country has been reminded again of the power of natural storms. You may have seen headlines such as tornadoes ripped through the Midwest and South, three killed, or deadly tornadoes slam central U.S. If you followed these news stories, I'm sure you saw the pictures of destroyed property. You probably saw pictures of foundations, missing walls and roofs, cars and trucks turned upside down, businesses destroyed. You know, storms are scary. Storms are scary. You, you never, I don't think you ever get to the place where you're not just a bit anxious if you find yourself in the middle of a severe storm. Even if you are a Christian with a strong faith in Jesus Christ, if you find yourself in the middle of a severe storm, it will bring a certain amount of anxiety to your heart. Many years ago, Jesus and his disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee, and a storm came up that was so severe that the disciples thought that they were going to die. And I believe the disciples had good reasons to fear, because from what I understand, the Sea of Galilee has a history of terrible storms. The reason, they say, is because the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. What happens is that cold air and warm air will meet in this natural basin, which is the perfect environment for a storm to quickly develop. The title that I chose for my message today is Lessons from the Storm on Galilee. The Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have the story of the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And I will begin by reading these accounts, and then we will look at life lessons that can be learned from this story. So we'll begin in Matthew. You can turn to Matthew chapter 8 and read 23 through 27. Matthew 8, verse 23. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 4. 35 through 41. Mark 4, verse 35. On the same day, when evening was, had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat, as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, 
and waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he, but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Luke 8, 22 through 25. Luke 8, verse 22. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the wind and water, and they obey him. And so we see the situation. After a long day of ministry, which probably included confrontation with religious leaders and teaching among huge crowds of people, Jesus and his disciples are exhausted. And so to get away from the crowds for some well-needed rest, Jesus got into the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake, and they launched out. The disciples, in obedience to his command, they hoist the sail and began the trip across the lake. From what I understand, the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long and five miles wide. So if the wind was in your favor, this five-mile trip would take around an hour. Jesus, he promptly falls asleep, and suddenly, out of nowhere and without warning, they were in the midst of a terrible storm. Matthew used the word tempest, which literally means earthquake. This was no ordinary breeze blowing. This was like a hurricane. Luke writes that the storm was so bad that the ship was full of water. Mark wrote in his account that the waves were beating the ship and that it was full of water. Matthew in his account said that the waves covered the ship. And so you can get the picture. This was a serious storm. They had a crisis on their hands. The ship was full of water. The waves were as high as the boat. And they were headed to the bottom of the sea unless the storm ceased. So what lessons can we learn from this account? Well, number one, storms will come. I find it interesting how Luke begins his account. Luke begins his account, now it happened on a certain day. It was just an ordinary day. They got up that morning, 
they had breakfast, they went to work. And on that certain day, Luke writes, Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. Just another typical day of ministry, just another typical ride across the lake. However, it says, but as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. You see, they went from having a typical day to a non-typical day in just a few short minutes. They went from having a relaxing ride across the lake to being in jeopardy. I believe there is a lesson here about the suddenness of the storm. Storms will come in life. A day may begin as a typical day. The lake is calm, the wind is in our favor, and out of nowhere a storm comes up and life itself is put at peril. So storms will come. Lesson number two, why the storms? Why the storms? First, we must realize that some of life's storms can be brought on by our own foolishness or sin. Sometimes they are caused by one's own bad decisions. Sometimes storms come because of the actions of someone else. For an example of that, I thought of the story of Jonah. You know, Jonah tried to run from God's will. And trying to run from God's will, he faced a terrible storm, along with the sailors. You know, the sailors, they faced that storm because of someone else's problem. Jonah faced it because of his own problem. But you may remember how the sailors eventually had to throw Jonah overboard and the storm ceased well as you know the storm was over for the sailors but it was far from over for Jonah God prepared a great fish for Jonah his storm was just getting started and we'll talk about him some more later but Jonah's storm was brought on because of his own disobedience the disciples were in the midst of the storm, not because they had disobeyed, but because they had obeyed. Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. They were doing what Christ had commanded. Jesus had a lesson for the disciples. Even though the disciples had no way of knowing it, during those terrible moments, the storm was a, divine, a divinely appointed instrument to teach them about God and his power in their lives. The book of James tells us that the purpose of trials is to deepen our faith. And remember this point, why the storms? James 1, 2, 3, and 4, you can turn there if you like. James 1, verse 2, a very familiar verse. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith 
produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Why the storms that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing? Without difficulties, without trials, without stresses, and even failures, we will never grow to be what the Lord wants us to become. And so the storms of life have a purpose. However, in the heat of the moment, the purpose is often obscured. The third point I have is simply the storm. The storm. I can picture the disciples soaked and no doubt shivering, terrified to the core, straining to keep the boat headed into the wind. They just knew that the next wave was going to take them to the bottom. And keep in mind that these men were experienced sailors. This was not their first trip across Galilee. And I find it interesting that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all use a form of the word perish. What they say differs slightly from one account to the other, but one thing that is clear is the fact that they all three thought they were going to die. Master, um, I'm sorry, Matthew records that the disciples cry out, Lord, save us, we are perishing, which seems to be a cry for help. In Mark, the record is that they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? which seems to be a rebuke of Jesus' lack of action. Luke records that the disciples in their distress say, Master, Master, we are perishing, which seems to be a statement of immediate doom. We're finished. It's over. We're done. In the midst of the storm, faith was paralyzed by fear. It's been said that fear is like an anchor. It stops us dead in the water. Fear will maximize the problem and minimize God's provision and presence. All that the disciples needed was with them right there in the boat. In the heat of the moment, the disciples forgot who Jesus is. They forgot about his power. That is the nature of fear. When fear takes over, our minds go blank. We forget who Jesus is. We forget his power. We forget his promises. To the disciples, Jesus seemed unaware or unconcerned about their plight. He was sleeping on a pillow. They probably wondered, does Jesus know about this storm? Does he care that we are about to drown? The fact is that Jesus was right there in the boat with them, facing the same storm. And so, as we face the storms of life, like the disciples, we too may feel alone. We may wonder, does Jesus care? We may wonder, does anyone care? I'm sure you're familiar with the song, Does Jesus Care? And each verse of that song asks a question. The first verse, the first part of verse 1, Does Jesus care when my heart is pain too deeply for mirth 
and song. The second verse begins with, Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? Verse 3, Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? Verse 4, Does Jesus care when I said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? The chorus says, Oh yes, he cares, I know he cares, his heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. So yes, we know Jesus cares, but yet for the disciples, Jesus is fast asleep in the boat. All right, point number four, the cry in the storm. There's a lesson to be learned in the cry in the storm. And I'd like for you to turn to Psalm 107. I'd like to read some verses from Psalm 107. We'll begin with verse 23 and read through 30. The psalm begins with verse 1. It says, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And so it's an upbeat psalm, but we're going to break in at verse 23. Psalm 107, 23, they that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths. Their souls melt because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are quiet. Then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. Verse 28 is the verse I want you to notice. Then they cried out to the Lord in their troubles. To cry out is to assume that there is a God who cares and who not only cares but acts. Then they cried out to the Lord in their troubles and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that the waves are still. To cry out to Jesus was the disciples' only hope. One detail that is left out in all three Gospels is how long the disciples fought the storm before they cried out to Jesus. And I believe there's good reasons for that. If I was writing, I don't think I'd have recorded that either. But I have a feeling they thought they could handle the storm. Experienced sailors, they were tough guys. This is not our first rodeo, I can hear them saying. We got it under control. Call on Jesus? Nah, 
First of all, he's sleeping like he doesn't have a care in the world. And second, uh, he's a carpenter. He's, he's not really a sailor. Does that sound like us? The Bible says in the last verse of Jonah 1 that Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Chapter 2 begins with, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. Verse 2, And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shul I cried, and you have heard my voice. Have you ever wondered on which of the three days did Jonah cry out to the Lord? Was it day one? Was it day two? Or day three? You know, us men can really be stubborn. I have a feeling it was day three. Because if you continue to read chapter two, immediately, excuse me, immediately after Jonah cried out to God and acknowledged God as his help and salvation, it says that the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. To cry out to God was Jonah's only hope. To cry out to Jesus was the disciples' only hope. And for us today, to cry out to God is our only hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Psalm 34, verse 6, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. This morning, lesson number five is the lesson in Jesus calming the storm. At their cry, remember that, at their cry, he rouses himself and rebukes the waves and the winds, and there is an immediate calm. Jesus does care. Not only does he care, he acts and saves. But it was at their cry. Remember that. Matthew wrote, Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Mark records, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Luke says, Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the raging of the water, and they ceased and there was a calm. I find it interesting how easy Jesus overcame the storm. By a word of command, the forces of nature are brought into subjection. He speaks, and it is done. Notice, too, how efficiently or effectively it was done. It says there was a great calm. You know, normally... 
for a large body of water to calm, it takes considerable time for the waves to subside, even though the winds have long passed. The storm did not merely cease and the winds gradually returned to normal. He spoke and it was if there never was a storm. Luke tells us that Jesus turns from rebuking the storm to rebuke the disciples saying, where is your faith? Jesus is saying, why are you so fearful and living as if you have no faith? I find it interesting that the storm did not concern Jesus. He doesn't say something like, you know, guys, boy, that was one terrible storm. It's uh, sure is good you had me alone. No, Jesus is not concerned about the storm. He is concerned about their unbelief. He is concerned about their lack of faith. I believe their fear was natural, but they had no excuse for their lack of faith. Think about it. Who witnessed the manifestation of Christ's power more than his disciples? They were, they were seeing that day after day. Yet in the middle of the crisis, fear took over and faith departed. So if you can imagine now the disciples, the storm is over, they're alive. I can see them dazed and looking around, trying to understand what was happening. First, the disciples are terrorized by the winds and the waves. Now the disciples are terrorized by the intervention of Jesus. The fear of the storm was replaced by a new fear. In the account in Mark, he uses two different Greek words to describe the fear of the disciples. When the storm came upon them, we know that they were afraid. But after Jesus stilled the winds and the waves, the book of Mark says that they feared exceedingly. And if you have time, um, look up those Greek words. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's a, a fear. The first fear was like a, um, a scared fear, kind of like, you know, you meet a bear in the woods and it scares you. This, this next fear is, yes, it was a, a fear in their hearts as well, but it was more of a, a reverence uh, for what they have just seen. They just saw this tremendous um, revelation of power. And they said, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obeyed him? And so God help us to replace that scary fear with a fear of reverence for him and for his power. And that, that fear of reverence will help us in the storms of life. It, it will make a difference. And so now, in conclusion... The question for us is, where is our faith? Where is your faith? Where is my faith? Hebrews 11, verse 6 is a verse that I think we should consider. Verse 11, 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
Do you believe that this morning, that without faith, it is impossible to please him? No wonder the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. I believe that was a good request. I believe that was a good desire and should be ours as well. In the lives of the disciples, the absence or presence of faith was revealed in the traumas of life. And so it is with us as well. Where is our faith in the storms of life? It is the crisis of life which reveals our faith. It's been said that when we face a storm, we face a threefold challenge. And that threefold challenge is, number one, we can worry. Number two, we can work. And number three, we can trust. When difficulties come, we can choose to worry. But we all know deep down that nothing changes with worry. The only thing that changes with worry is the color of our hair. I might be opening myself up here, right? <laughs> when faced with adversity, we can try harder. We can work harder and harder until we see there is nothing more we can do. And then we can conclude that this situation is absolutely out of our control. Or when we face a storm, we can, in faith, fall before the Lord cry out to him and ask for help. Trust is casting all our care upon him, for he careth for you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. I would like to close with the words of a hymn. And I believe this hymn is in the uh, Life Songs, but we don't have that here this morning. If we did, I'd like to sing it, but we don't. The song is Peace Be Still, verse one. Master, the tempest is raging. The billows are tossing high. The sky is o'ershadowed with blackness. No shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish? How canst thou lie asleep? When each moment so madly is threatening, a grave in the angry deep. Verse 2, Master, with anguish of spirit, I bow in my grief today. The depths of my sad heart are troubled. Awaken and save, I pray. Torrents of sin and of anguish sweep o'er my sinking soul. And I perish, I perish, dear Master. Oh, hasten and take control. Verse 3, Master, the terror is over, the elements sweetly rest. And I'm Paul's here. When we were children growing up, we didn't know what that word was. And we were singing that, singing it, we were saying, the elephants sweetly rest. But you know, I got thinking about that this morning. We weren't really that far off, were we? <laughs> the storms of life can be elephants. All right, let's go on. Earth son. And the calm lake is mirrored and heaven within my breast. Linger, O blessed Redeemer, leave me alone no more. And with joy I shall make the blessed harbor and rest on the blissful shore. The chorus, the winds and the waves shall obey thy will.
peace be still. Whether the wrath of the storm-tall sea, or demons, or men, or whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace be still, peace be still. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace, peace, be still. We'll call for a closing song.